Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are continuing our study through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we get to a time we started last week talking about uh, the end times. We talked about uh, the people that were there in Thessalonica who people had started to die, and they thought, well, did they miss it? Did, did something get messed up? And so we understood that we talked a little bit about the rapture, and then we're going to continue today um, talking about the day of the Lord. Now, again, if you pay attention to media, if you listen to things, um, we always are talking about discontent, right? Today's discontent and then the anxiety of tomorrow. What's going to happen tomorrow? Is my 401, is my 403 going to be uh, good? Do I need to put it into gold and silver now? Do I need to put it into um, real estate? What's going to happen? What's with all the tariffs? All these things that we begin to worry about. And, and again, it's it's nothing new um, for those that are my age and, and older would probably remember in 1985, Don Henley, not Dan Henley of Covenant Press, but Don Henley came up with the song Dirty Laundry. Um, if you remember that song where it says, we kick you when you're up and we kick you when you're down. Um, and it talks about the news and how we just have this insatiable desire to know all the troubles in the world. And so... Uh, uh, that's nothing new because there's the reality that God has placed within us um, and the desire to have things that are eternal. And so it's not out of the ordinary that the people here in Thessalonica are asking some very poignant questions about the day of the Lord. They're saying, hey, what's going to happen? What's going to go on? And so the Apostle Paul addresses this with them. So we're looking at it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you're all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night and of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word. We need your Holy Spirit to give us insight, to give us understanding, to bring comfort where there's fear. Lord, we need you to teach us, you to equip us, so that we might live lives of godliness, that we might encourage and build one another up today. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as we begin to unpack this passage, I want you to see that there's three different things. One is that there's a curiosity about the end times that affects our character, and then also, thirdly, it affects our conduct. So those are the three things we're going to be looking at this morning. And so the first thing we're looking at is the curiosity... And so the curiosity starts by talking about times and seasons. 
Now, this is a good place to start because the way you think about time and history affects how you live. So there are different ways to think about it. There's the cyclical view, which means that there are repeating cycles. We know that we live in seasons. So there's, you know, summer, fall, winter, springtime. And it's a cycle that's always going. We're always moving in the same process. And so what happens is people say, well, calendars were made by men. So this doesn't really apply to us. We're just continuing to move uh, throughout history in these cycles. Now, if you believe that, then you really believe that time and history has no meaning. Ultimately, your life has no meaning. Because you're just a part in the cog, and so you do what you're going to do, and at the end of your life, well, okay, maybe you'll come back as a frog, and maybe you'll come back as whatever. Um, but it doesn't matter ultimately because everything's going to be turning in cycles. The second way to think of it is atheistic naturalism. What do I mean by that? It means that we believe that time's irreversible. Uh, things begin to fall apart. We know that. So we're not being renewed. We're actually growing older and we're getting, things are starting to hurt more. Things are falling apart. Um, so we know that things are not going to be uh, getting better. So we don't really believe that there's that cycle. And things are cumulative. Things get um, more and more piled on. And if you have this kind of statement, you you buy into the whole World Disney thing. Fate's going to come in. Just wish upon a star. And listen, anything your heart desires will come true. That's, that's atheistic naturalism. Hey, just dream big dreams. Have big thoughts. Draw a little mouse. And you too can have a kingdom. Well, that worked for a person. Okay, but not for everybody else. Well, that's just fate. Which means, ultimately, again... No purpose. So you can start, you can have a beginning, you can have an end, but there's really ultimately no purpose to your life. Then there is what we believe, if you're in here, most of you, would be the Christian view. Which means that there is an importance and everything is moving forward, but there was a process to the history. There was a historical Jesus who came who lived a life, who gave his life as a sacrifice and gives to us his righteousness. Because if there is no historical Jesus, again, it doesn't help you to become just simply a better person. That doesn't help you. But we are looking forward where we're going to have the new heavens and the new earth. So Paul starts off by saying here, there are times and seasons that you're a part of. And again, the Greek world at this time thought in cyclical understanding. So he's saying, I want you to understand, Paul, to the people, I want you to understand there is a reason that God is doing what he's doing. Now, the second thing he says, there is the day of the Lord. And he says this very clearly to him. You already know enough. Now, again, as people, as human beings, we want to know more, don't we? We want to know the reasons behind it. And God comes and he says, you already know enough. And here's the thing. God has told us exactly what he intends for us to know. And he does that for our hope, to give us good hope, and to motivate us. And so he says, hey, this is going to happen, and I'm going to tell you all that you need to know, but stop worrying about what you don't know. So the first thing he says is there is going to be God's judgment. There is coming a day where there is going to be a judgment upon those who are not Christians. 
And so he says there is the reality in regards to, to God's judgment that there are those, and it says this in the scripture, it says there are those who have a false sense of peace and security. Now we kind of live there as Americans, don't we? We believe in our military. Even with as messed up of a government is, we kind of think that they're going to get most things right. We trust that the, the system is going to work so that we can retire. So that we can pass things on. We believe that there is going to be clean water that's going to sustain us. We believe that our houses are going to stand and there's still going to be a Florida. So there's things that, that we believe and so there's a sense that we have this false peace and false security. And God says, I want you to understand that God's judgment is coming, so stay alert. Stay alert. Be wise about what's coming. Not get caught up in dates, but be wise to know that there is coming something. Because he goes on to say something that, again, there is going to be a thief in the night that comes. And he says that there's a thief comes suddenly, and he's unwelcome, isn't he? Paul's very specific about talking about the thief. He doesn't say, hey, your, your parents are coming in the middle of the night and they're going to just going to scare you a little bit. But hey, they're going to come in and fix you breakfast and there's going to be coffee brewing in the morning and they're going to make their beds and everything is going to be great. No, it's saying a thief, while you're asleep, is going to break into your house. And as he breaks into your house, then what happens is it's going to become unexpectedly Not only suddenly, but unexpectedly. Now, we know this because Jesus tells this in Matthew 24, um, 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house be broken into. Jesus is telling something very simple. If you know the night that someone's going to break into your house, do you think you would stay up? Yes. But the reality is, is we have this false sense of peace and security. So we don't know when the thief is coming. So we go to sleep and we all expect, we all expect right now. I mean, I mean, obviously we live in a day and age where people know that probably you're at church, especially if you're um, on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And you're saying it, they know exactly when you're at church. So this is the best time to go to your house and rob you. Let that sink in a little bit. So here's all these things. So we have this false peace and security, and God says, hey, there's going to be a thief that comes in the night suddenly, unexpectedly, and so I want you to understand that every generation needs to be on notice. We need to stay alert. And he said, not only is it a thief that comes in the night, but it's like labor pains that come upon a pregnant woman, which means that pains are, what? Inevitable. So here's the key. If you are pregnant... Pain is coming. It's not an option. It's coming. It's like for us, if you live in Florida, a hurricane will come. It's inevitable. Are you prepared? This used to bug me sometimes when I'm someone who tends to probably be the extreme of something on the other way. So if I want to go to the airport, I'm there hours ahead of time. I'd rather sit at the gate and know that I'm not going to miss the plane as compared to getting caught up in traffic and everything like that and then having to run to the airplane or miss the airplane altogether. So when things like the new movie came out 
um, the Avengers movie. I went there and I was there a good half hour, 40 minutes in advance. And it always shocks me that the people who come in two minutes before the movie starts are overwhelmed by, there are no seats here. Why are there no seats? And then they want to ask me, who's already been there for 45 minutes, can you move over so I can have the seats like right in the middle of the screen so I can have the best seats? No. And I know I'm a Christian, but I still say, no. You should have got here 45 minutes earlier and then you could have the seats I'm in, but you didn't. So you're going to suffer the consequences. It's inevitable. Pain. So he's saying... Those will not escape. It's inescapable. So those who are not Christians will find themselves judged. And it's going to be God's wrath, and it's going to be something that is inescapable. But then Paul goes on to give some encouragement to the Thessalonians. And he says, but this doesn't have to deal with you. You're not going to endure this pain because you have gone, your character has been changed by the gospel. See, first, you were of the night. And he starts talking about this in regards to to the night. He says, you were intellectually dark, which means that we live in a day and an age where, again, people are spiritually indifferent. What do I mean by that? So a lot of people do Christian stuff, but without Jesus. Again, and please understand, I have all of the um, veggie tales. I listen to Z88.3, but I have issues sometimes. Why do I have an issue? I have an issue if all we get out of veggie tales is be nicer, do better, be moral. That does not save you. We can't just do Christian things without Jesus Christ. So again, I might need to be nicer to you as a congregation, but I don't do that in my own power. I can only do that through Jesus Christ. So again, it's, it's not just about moral behavior. It has to affect our thinking. It has to be through Christ. And only that, it has to affect how we live morally, because there is a moral darkness. Listen to Romans 13. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. So there's a taking off, there's a removing that happens when we become Christians, and there's a putting on. So we leave the things that are old and put on the things that are new, because the reality is those who do not love Christ love wickedness. And again, I I know that's hard for people to hear in our day and age because most people think, I am good. I'm a nice person. I pay my taxes, at least most of it. I take care of my house. I pay for my children. I don't kick people out. I give things away at Christmas time. I do lots of good things. That, again, does not save you. It's not about being good. 
And if we're not of Christ, then listen, we are wicked. Wicked. But Jesus comes in and he changes everything. So Paul says, hey, you're not of the night anymore. You're of the day. And he says, you're of the day because one, you know the truth. We have the word of God. He's not tricking us. He tells us exactly what we are to believe about him and what we, how we should live our lives. Now, again, I know that there are people who say, sometimes I struggle with your preaching because you never say anything new. You kept saying the same thing over and over. If I ever change the story, you better leave. It's very simple. It's very simple. Listen, there's a quote, and I don't know, I give it credit to Ritterboss. But he says, the gospel is shallow enough for a baby to wade and deep enough for an elephant to swim. Now, here's the reality. When we know the truth, the truth is very simple. You're a sinner who needs a savior and Jesus died on the cross and he gives you you, his righteousness. Simple. That's the gospel. Now go deeper with that. What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? Whoa. Wait a minute, you're, you're saying that I'm supposed to not give him my old Xbox? I'm supposed to give him my new Xbox? Well, that's how I would love myself. I don't want to do that. Wait a minute. So you're saying I, I don't just give of my time when it's convenient. Sometimes I have to give my time when it's hard? Late at night? <laughs> While I'm on vacation? No, 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 no. No, I, I, I want to be in control of my Christianity. Jesus comes in and says, I changed the whole thing because Jesus, listen, becomes our life. Jesus should become everything. And so the reality is that we then therefore begin to practice the truth. So it's a pursuit of godliness that we get into. So remember, Paul has already talked to him. He says, you want to show that you're different from the rest of the world? Then practice moral purity. The world's out there for the momentary pleasures, whether with the eye or in action. So you be morally pure. You know what? The world talks about loving each other. The tax collectors, they like each other. They love each other when you get something from them. But I'm saying go out and love people when you get nothing back. Or even worse, maybe they hate you. Still love them. You know what? You need to act differently at work. You need to show by the way that you are that you love Jesus. Kids, by not cheating on your test, by not lying about your homework, by giving an accurate representation of your GPA when you put it on your college transcripts. We need to live differently at work. Not cutting corners. Maybe not lie on resumes. We need to show that we are different so when people see us, they know that there's something different. They don't have to ask. They should know that we're Christians. And so that's the reality of what Paul's saying. Hey, you've been living out and your actions have spoken louder than your words. 
And so people aren't guessing whether you are, because why? Because you love righteousness. Because Jesus has become everything. And so we have our change in regards to our curiosity. We don't need to worry about the day or the time that Jesus is coming back. We need to be prepared all the time. We know our character is different, but then he also goes on to say that our conduct is changed. Verses 8 through uh, 11. So here we have this conduct, and the first thing he tells us to do is to be sober. Now he, he goes on to explain that a little bit, but it's, it's like in regards to standing guard. Keep awake. Be sober. Watch where you're, watch when you're supposed to be watching. Now again, if you've been in the military, this is a big deal. If you stand guard, you're held responsible for everybody else that's sleeping. You're held responsible for protecting those who are going about their business. Cause they're not supposed to be worried because you are. And so it's so important that this is a thing that you can actually, from the very beginning that you sign up, that if you fall asleep on guard duty, even in boot camp, they can kick you out. They can kill you in times of war. It's that serious. Be on guard. And I know sometimes it's not easy. They make us guard weird things. When I was finished out of boot camp and I was up in Mississippi, we had an administrative building. An administrative building. What did I stand guard? I walked around the administrative building for hours. And what did I get to do? Walk to every door and make sure it was locked. Still locked. Going to walk around again. Next hour, still locked. So what happens? You start not applying yourself, right? Maybe I don't need to check the door. Now, what do we just learn about what Paul said? The thief is going to come, how? Unexpectedly, suddenly, unaware. So I have to check the door every time because at some point, oh, there's a door open. Why is the door unlocked? Now, it's even gotten worse because we had to be on fire duty. That's really fun at three in the morning. But you stay alert. You pay attention. You remain sober. Why? Because the reality is, is that we have to be ready for the unexpected. And so he says, as you are sober, as you are standing guard, then he tells us to put on three specific things. And it's the things that he's been talking about through this whole book. The first thing he says is put on faith. Now, what do we have faith in? We have faith in God's person, in his power, in his promises, and his plan. It's something, it's, he calls this as part of our breastplate. It's a breastplate of righteousness. And so again, this is something that we need to put on, that we are, we understand we have faith that everything that God says he is, he's is. And so we trust him, even in hard times. And only that, it says, put on the, is part of the breastplate is love. And so we put on love because we're supposed to love God and love our neighbors. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, now go love sinners. Love those who hate you. Love your enemy. That's not easy. I don't care who you are. There's, there's a person that I have dealt with in the past that continually sent me um, text constantly. Bleepity bleep bleep bleep. All, I have to bleep it out all the time. And it would come at all hours, depending on when he was drinking. 
So what do I do, right? I just block his number. I just write him out of my life. I get rid of him. Right? That's what the world says. No, I still love him. I still talk to him. I still have him asking forgiveness for the hundred and fiftieth time for the same thing. Why? Because that's what God does for us. So we put on faith, we put on love, and then he also tells us to put on the helmet, and I think this is, this is essential here. He tells us to put on the helmet because it's our hope. And our hope is a surety of we will be glorified. This makes sense. What we're doing makes sense. Because it's going to be fulfilled when we're glorified. The second thing he says in regards to conduct is already up there. Is that we're supposed to understand that we are um, finding ourselves in salvation. Now why would Paul bring this up? Um, And this is... Pretty new for me. I haven't thought about this, but Sinclair Ferguson brought this up. He said, the return of Christ is essential to the gospel. Now, I've always thought, okay, you got the whole thing of I'm a, I'm a sinner who, who needs a savior. And so Christ died on the cross and then he gives to us his perfection. I get that. Okay. But Sinclair Ferguson brings up a great point. He says, now the return of Christ is essential to the gospel because, listen, he's not just saving souls. Do you get that? It's not just about dying, our bodies stay here, and our souls get to go to heaven, uh, cosmic Disneyland for eternity. He's coming back. And he's coming back, and we get new bodies. Jesus is coming to save us because he's saving men and women. And he's saving men and women so we have confidence in Christ that he's coming back because he died so that we might live with him. Listen, Jesus is not a means to an end. We're not looking to go to heaven. We're looking to be with Jesus for all eternity. He is the end. He is everything. And so we look and we look for the confidence that Christ, he's coming back and we get to be with him for all eternity. And so what does Paul say? Now encourage one another. Encourage one another and build each other up. Because here's the reality. There is still ministry to do. There's still work to be done. Now, sometimes people say, well, what should I do? Let me be very clear. Do whatever God has put you at in life. You don't have to think of some great, uh, grandiose things that you have to do. You don't have to start a a widow's ministry. You don't have to start um, a a ministry that goes around the world. You don't have to go be a full-time missionary. If you can pray, that is a significant, powerful ministry. You want to pray for Northern Ireland. And again, we we don't think of Northern Ireland... We think of the Republic of Ireland, so and that's okay. The Irish people aren't offended, and the British people are. But do practical things. If you want to pray for us, go buy boxes of Lucky Charms and eat Lucky Charms every day. If that's what you need to remind yourself to pray for us in Ireland, look the little leprechaun. Go, oh yeah, I gotta pray. I gotta pray for Northern Ireland today. 
I'm serious about that because we're forgetful people. We are. So do practical things to remind yourself. I tell you to pray for three people. How are you doing that? Is it written down somewhere? Is it on a prayer card? There's one church that I knew of that made you put it on your keychain. So those people were there. Every time you had your keys, you had your three names there for you. Do you do it with marbles? Whatever it might be. But do it. Remind yourself. Listen, if you are going to the hospital, minister to those who are at the hospital. God doesn't waste your sickness. God doesn't waste the disease. If you're at a life care center, do what you're going to do at a life care center. Here's a great example. Diane Nasby going to visit someone in the life care center. What does she do now? Every other Wednesday, she plays hymns. And the people come out of the rooms and they sing and they praise God. You have teenagers? Have a ministry of feeding people. Teenagers eat a lot. Don't believe it? Ask Lynn Mills. She feeds the young professionals. Do the things where you're at. You got kids at school? Go minister at the school. You go on lots of vacations? Minister to people on the boats that you're on. On the airlines that you fly. God is not, you don't have to be a part of a specific ministry here at church. And there are many pregnancy resources. There are missionaries. We give over here at Booker T. Washington. There's a great opportunity coming up with Vacation Bible School. Well, I can't teach. I can't do. Well, hand out snacks. Go around. Watch kids. Pick them up when Robin knocks them down and while they're out at the um, playground stuff. Fix their boo-boos. Whatever you're called to do, do it because the ministry's not over. And the way that you live your life suggests whether you're of the day or of the night. And then the last thing he says to us is build each other up. Don't tear down one another. Don't talk about each other behind your backs. You got a problem? Go confront someone. You got issues? Deal with it. But build each other up. Love one another. The person that ticks you off, make them the, the, the source of your, your prayer life. God, I want this person to know you so intimately. God, I, I want them to be so loved by Jesus. Jesus, give them the blessings. So that's abnormal. But that's the gospel. Turning the world upside down we'll finish looking at second timothy 1 9 who's the one who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave in christ jesus before the ages began so again pastor is this hard to do yes is it impossible to do in your own strength yes it is but when you get up in the morning, and, and I'm telling you, this is a, it's a hard prayer and it's a dangerous prayer. And it's a simple prayer. I get up, I get in the shower, God, not what I want today, what you want. And sometimes God answers that in a way you don't want him to answer. So I start changing my prayer sometimes. Dear God, 
Not what I want, what you want, but make it pretty nice. <laughs> he goes, Jeff, you're an idiot. <laughs> do what I need you to do. All I need you to do, Jeff, is to be faithful. Live your life to the glory of the Father. And go tell everyone. Go tell everyone. Because we have a lot of nice people, according to the world, who are going to hell. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. And you've got the answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. And Lord, again, it's easy to hear. Lord, it's easy to talk about. It's hard to put it into practice. Lord, it's hard to love the unlovely. It's hard to confront people in love. It's hard to do ministry when it's inconvenient. But Father, you have changed us so that our view is not this world. And you tell us very clearly that the view and the vision of our heart should be that of Jesus Christ. Keep our eyes focused upon him and him alone. And then through him, we'll be able to love the way that he loves. We'd have faith that can move mountains and we have the surety of the hope that one day, one day, We'll be in the new earth, in the new heaven, in our new bodies. And Lord, we will be completely satisfied because we're with Jesus Christ forevermore. For it's in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.